Well, hello, Emily. Greetings, Greg. It has been a long summer, a summer that stretched from our last episode in June, I think it was in June, all the way through August, through September. A lot has happened. The Eric Carlson trade happened. Many things happened. But here we are in October on the precipice of the National Hockey League's 2018-19 season and ESPN on Ice has returned. My only burning question for you is how many times did you listen to our theme song this summer? Incessantly. (laughs) I had it on a, a mix that I bought to the beach and every time it came on, I put my fingers in the air and start shooting them in the air like I was dancing a little bit as our jaunty theme song would play. I feel like our jaunty theme song in some way probably played a role in bringing the whalers back. It's sort of Brass Bonanza-ish. I think it kept that type of music in the zeitgeist. And then eventually, I'm sure our good friend Tom Dundon heard it. And he's just like, hey, man, let's bring back the Whalers for a night. Let's just go ahead and do it. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because Tom Dundon was such a good guest. We kept the Canes theme going. We've got a great show. We've got Rod Brindamore coming. Yeah, we do. Uh, and then later on, Isabel Kashurdian, uh will join us from the Washington Post. Izzy uh, is the beat writer uh, that covers the Washington Capitals and has been absolutely killing it <laughs> over the last few months, not only in their cup victory, but also in traveling across the globe and covering Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom and others as they uh, partied with the cup. And uh, we're going to talk to her about what's happened since the Caps won and what we can expect from the Caps this season. All that plus a full, gigantic all-encompassing preview of the NHL season in which Emily and I, for the first time, will debut our picks for division finishes, playoff teams. Emily and I were just debating the merits of the Buffalo Sabres before the podcast started. (laughs) And we will continue on for all of you to enjoy that conversation with us as well. All right. With that, let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Washinsky and Kaplan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Washinsky, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And both of us are unofficial NHL mascot fan people (laughs) hey you don't know how i stand on gritty we've never talked about this well let's talk about it now because obviously there's been a lot of interest in our opinions on this ever-changing story you know when i saw gritty a gritty joke on snl and then saw gritty on fallon um i said to myself okay maybe nbc is just pumping the tires of the flyers but then gritty uh was on uh john oliver and then there was a gritty question last night during the boy bands quiz on hq trivia and I said to myself, there's nothing that's happened in hockey in the last 50 years that's crossed <laughs> over in pop culture as much as damn gritty. Maybe not since Wayne Gretzky has there been anything as popular to people who don't follow hockey as damn gritty. We both get these crazy PR emails from random agencies trying to pimp out their stuff. And my favorite one was, it's the best ad campaign since IHOP uh, foolishly didn't fool people into thinking they were changing their name to International House of Burgers. Um, which was hilarious because it's the greatest ad campaign since like, what, two months ago? But uh, <laughs> I do think it created general great awareness and goodwill about these 
Philadelphia Flyers. And I think what's funny about it is, you know, this guy is a really scary looking mascot, but this mm-hmm. team's actually going to be scary on the ice. And maybe it's just good timing by ownership oh. and marketing of uh, creating awareness of what could be a sleeper team to win the Cup. Listen to you. Look at that pivot. By the way, <laughs> not scary. I saw everybody talking I'm about how pivoting. this thing was. I'll yeah, keep no, talking gritty. This thing was, this thing was nightmare fuel for a lot of people. And I don't buy that. Nightmare fuel was that monstrosity that the Oilers put out there, which looked like a, a thing that a kid would look, would find uh, staring back at him in a sewer as, <laughs> as he's trying to coax them into the sewer. I, uh, I, I, I thought this gritty was very cute. I love the, the overexpressive googly eyes. I do wonder at some point if we're going to get to peak gritty and we're going to get sick of it. But as of right now, it hasn't happened. I think that would have to involve some kind of scandal where we're all just disgusted. <laughs> and right now, my imagination is just not working fast enough where I cannot imagine. And I, you know what? I didn't want to place any hypothetical scandal on gritty, but that's what right. it would take. This guy, his approval rating must be off the roof. Yeah. You know, some kind of a scenario in which Gritty and Yuri Laterra are working together on something nefarious. <laughs> Maybe Gritty punches another mascot or does something dirty behind the scenes. Well, that would not be a scandal. If a Philadelphia Flyers mascot assaults <laughs> another mascot, I think that would actually, that qualifies him to run for mayor, I believe, of Philadelphia. Yeah, we call that Christmas Day. That's be Christmas Day. Uh, I wanted to mention something from, you, you went to the, uh, players tour in Chicago. My big September trip was going out to, Eric Carlson land in San Jose and talking to him. You were at the players tour in Chicago. Uh, I thought it was interesting in the poll that you did that there were still players five years from now. Five, so think five years later. So the 2000, what, 23. There were still a few players that thought that Sidney Crosby, an aged Sidney Crosby, mid 30 Sidney Crosby would still be the best player in hockey. Okay, well, I just want to preface because I think my biggest takeaway in this poll is I did the same exact exercise last season and a majority of players, I said, who's the best player in the league right now? Majority picked Sidney Crosby. I just think it's crazy in one year's time and a season when neither player's team made the playoffs, all of a sudden the tide has turned and this is Connor McDavid's league now. A majority of the guys were picking Connor McDavid. So that was fascinating to me. And then the next layer of the question is who's going to be the best player four years from now? Now, Connor McDavid obviously got most of the votes. Austin Matthews got a few sprinkled in. Uh, my favorite is a guy who is known for being very sarcastic. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. And it's like a guy we don't know yet. It's like, thanks, dude. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, I'll tell you offline who that was. Great but exercise. The, but there were, I believe, two players who picked Sidney Crosby. And I'll tell you something about these two players. Uh, mm-hmm. They are both perennial all-stars. Okay. Uh, they're both over the age of 30 each. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're peers of Crosby, and I think both of them, it's just a sign of respect. I don't know if they firmly believe that inside, or maybe it's just them placing their own aspirations to play at a high level into their mm-hmm. mid-30s on Crosby. But, uh, right. yeah, they were uh, they had sure. conviction about that answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, we'll leave it to you to figure out who those two players might be. I mean, I'm sure one of them you know, might be really, I don't know, like a charismatic guy despite wearing a mask. But I think that maybe overall— Maybe someone who knows him well. Maybe someone who knows him well. <laughs> I don't know. Who's to say? We'll leave it to to you to to track down all the names of the players tour and then figure out who thinks that Sidney Crosby four or five years from now will be better than Conor McDavid. Um, Let's get to it. Sidney Crosby plays in the Eastern Conference. We are going to preview both conferences on this show. We'll begin in the East ahead of our first guest, uh, Rod Brindamore, who, of course, is also a coach in the Eastern Conference. Let's begin in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Let's go Atlantic Division first. Now, a, do you have do you actually have the standings in front of you? Your one through eight. Stand- 
No, no, your one through eight predictions. I do, I do. Okay, I don't. I don't look at last year. I'm looking forward. Okay, here we go. Number eight on both of our lists, I'm sure, in the Atlantic is the Ottawa Senators. True Correct. or false? Okay. The only question I have about Ottawa is, like, well, first off, obviously, when are they going to trade Duchesne? I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stone resigns with them, but they're going to trade Duchesne at some point. The question is where and the question is when. The other thing is, we have never seen before a team that is going to be terrible, that has traded off assets in order to be terrible, but will have no dividends from that terribleness because the Colorado Avalanche owned their first pick. So I don't even know, like, like at least, at least if you're tanking, at least if you're a pathetically bad franchise uh, for a season, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for these guys being like, all right, we'll go through hell and we'll end up with Jack Hughes. But there ain't going to be no Jack Hughes. There's going to be nothing. So I'm not even sure why... I guess just pack up and go home is my advice to the... Uh, why would you want to spend 82 games with Guy Boucher and then get nothing out of it? Yeah, I have to say, if I'm looking at the coach that probably has the hottest seat, most likely to be fired uh, this season, it is Guy Boucher. The only reason I believe he wasn't fired so far is that their owner is cheap and they don't want to pay two salaries for coaches. Ah. Um, I think there's some to be excited about with the Senators. Brady Kachuk. Uh, let's all see him roar like his brother has. Uh, but the big question, right, is... You, you nailed it. It's Stone and Duchesne. And how long do they keep them on? And do they have any chance at re-signing either of them? And, you know, Duchesne has said publicly, I'm open to an extension. But when we talked to him at the player media tour, we talked to him a lot about the process that, or process, I'm sorry, the <laughs> process that uh, John Tavares went through this summer. And you could kind of see his eyes light up. And I felt like he is a guy who really would get something out of unrestricted free agency. Totally. And, you know, as much as he loves being close to home, and that's what Ottawa is, um, I think he liked the idea of teams courting him and him picking where he wants to play, especially with the way his career began. So, uh yeah, that's the Senators. That's all I got to say about them. His name, his name still carries value. His contract is quite lofty, and I don't know if you're a guy who's professed to not wanting to be part of a of a rebuild. And all of a sudden, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, you find yourself in the midst of a Black Mirror episode where the thing <laughs> you wished would not happen has happened again. Uh, I don't understand why he would stay in Ottawa. Uh, number seven in the Atlantic, I've got Detroit. What do you got? I got Detroit as well. Okay, okay. I think in this case, it's like I, I think Detroit because it behooves them to be bad. Uh, for at least another year. They've got some good young players in the system. I think things are looking up, but, you know, this is clearly a rebuild. This is clearly a slow climb, and the lower that you finish, the better that's going to be going forward. Yeah, you know, when you do look at Detroit, though, you're right. This year is kind of a wash. Um, Philip Zadina is going to start the season in AHL. I hope he does mm-hmm. come up because he is someone to be excited about. But you look at the contracts that get to come off the books next season, uh, Nicholas Cronwell being one of them, uh, Nyquist, Jimmy Howard, all of a sudden they've got... Um, cap space that they can spend. Right. So if you get these young guys like Dylan Larkin signed long term, you, you develop Zadina a little bit, uh, suddenly, you know, they're a place that's always been a destination. If they can go in and, and be, you know, one of the big kahuna hunters. I don't know why I said kahuna. I used that about Doug Wilson <laughs> recently. It's stuck in well, my Doug Wilson, at least, is, he, at least he's closer to, to Hawaii. Yeah, uh, and at least, you know, you know like sharks, whatever, you can play <laughs> off that. Uh, yeah, well, we can have Kenny Holland being a big kahuna hunter, but if they sign one of these vaunted, you know, free agents next summer, all of a sudden they're, yeah. they accelerate a bit and, you know, can compete with these guys in the Atlantic. It's, it's weird. Like, I feel like that's been the recipe for a while is that, you know, the Illich family has money, the, Red Wings have money, and we've yet to see somebody sign there. You know, they, they well, they court, got the they, fancy new arena now. 
Yeah, I know, but they courted, you know, back in the day, they courted, they courted Ryan Suter. They've courted a couple of guys and they've never been in, really in the conversation. But, you know, who's to say what the dynamics are? I mean, if they overpay for somebody, who's to say that they're not going to come to Detroit with a, a spanking new arena named after a pizza store? Um, sixth place in the Atlantic, I've got the Montreal Canadiens. As do I. This is boring. Well, it's not because these are probably the third worst teams in this division. We're about to get to the juicy stuff. Uh, I don't think I, 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 Carey Price is too good to allow this team to be as bad as they should be. I think that's the problem with Montreal. I mean, he's obviously not going to have a huge bounce back here because it's not a very good defense in front of them. Shea Weber out until December. There's some things on this team I enjoy watching. Like I am interested in seeing how Max Domi reacts to being a center, the, the latest in a string of, four, of wingers turned into centers on this team. Um, and, you know, the antics of your Brendan Gallagher's and Andrew Shaw's are always good for a click or two. Uh, but overall, a, a, a rudderless team at this point, um, given how much they have invested in Weber and Price and given how bad the rest of the roster is. But moi moi, my Finnish friends, we've got Jesperi Kotakneni, who I've butchered his name, but I got Moy Moy right uh, from Pori, Finland, and I know everyone in Montreal was buzzing about him in the preseason. <laughs> Greg just can't control himself right now. Well, I, you know, I, time. I, I did. I just didn't realize that you were going to make such a concerted effort to reach out to our Finnish listeners on this what show. What do you it's think I've exciting. been doing all uh, postseason hanging around the Winnipeg Jets? I've been brushing yeah, up on my fin. There you go. Moy Moy. Yeah. Um, number five, I have the Buffalo Sabres. Now, do you have them as well at five? I do have them at five, and I wrote that big story this year that they're everybody's favorite sleeper team. It's so weird. This summer, I at the player media tour, and I pulled some other people I interviewed. Who's going to be the team that surprises this year? And half, literally half of the people I said, said the Buffalo Sabres. And yeah. that's a credit to Botterill for, you know, getting rid of Ryan O'Reilly, but replacing him with so much depth. They can't be as bad as they were last year. But I just look at these top four guns in the Atlantic Division. I'm like, how are they going to match up? Look. I'll be honest with you. Until we started doing the podcast today, I had an asterisk near the Buffalo Sabres name. Now, an asterisk. This, this asterisk means that they're a playoff team. This asterisk has a, appeared and disappeared by their name. I mean, there's more asterisks than the MLB all-time home run list. Okay, <laughs> I'm saying that that I have been on the fence about the Sabres team for the last 72 hours, like you wouldn't believe. I want to, this to happen. I look at the roster and say it could very well happen, but there's a part of me that says, and and I was this is the problem with me right now is that I felt the same way about Vegas last year where I was too much of a wimp to actually say what I mean about Vegas, which I thought they were going to be pretty good, and then you know I picked them to miss the playoffs as did everybody, and look what happened. There's a part of me that thinks this is a playoff team, but there's also a part of me that believes that this is the year that they are in the hunt. They come a knocking. They're at the door. They're they're close. And they just don't get in. And then they come back next year, sophomore seasons for Middlestat and Darlene. Uh, maybe they re-sign Skinner. He finds chemistry with Eichel. Um, they, they, they tweak the roster a little bit more. And then they get in. I feel like that's maybe this year for them. But I gotta be honest with you. And I know this is, I know this is hedging bets and stuff. I wouldn't be shocked if they get in. Can I tell you the only problem if they get in? What's that? One of my favorite annual traditions in my two years covering the NHL <laughs> has been Jack Eichel showing up to the player media tour and bleeding his heart being emo. <laughs> As he told me this year, it's tough when you lose that much because you question everything you do. Yeah. I never lost my love for the game, and it made me a lot tougher, and I could go on and on. But well, I, I love that kid, and I love how emotional he is. And, and I always found it funny because like seeing the way he's become playing, playing Buffalo explains Ryan Miller so much. <laughs> and the way he was after he played in Buffalo. Um, number four is a bit of a surprise. I took a lot of flack on Twitter this week for for not saying that the Boston Bruins are a lock for the playoffs. 
Um, they're not a lock for the playoffs, in my opinion, but they are a playoff team. I've got the Boston Bruins at four in the Atlantic. All right, so I'm guessing we flip-flop our number three and our number four. I've got the Florida Panthers, but I there do have them as a playoff team, and that's just because of their one-two punch at center. Barkov and Tro- Trocek are tough to match up against. Plus, yeah, they top- add Mike Hoffman, an elite top-six guy. You're correct. I got I got Florida three and uh, and Boston four. I, I, I listen. I I'm hoping that we get one more good year out of Luongo and that Reimer plays better than he did last year. But I look at that Florida team. There's a lot of a lot of of, of, of talent on that roster right now. Uh, the blue line I'm not in love with, but they're going to be okay, I think. But it's those like top serviceable. Two, the most serviceable lines, blue line. Top two lines are unimpeachable, and uh, and they've got some stuff in reserve too that they could bring up as well. I, I I think this is the year Florida makes the leap. All the all the accolades being placed on a team like Buffalo, I think, should be placed on Florida instead. Um, number two in the Atlantic, I got the Lightning. I, I think that the Lightning will be second. The Leafs obviously will be first. Uh, to me, this just seems like this is the the juggernaut regular season year for the Leafs, uh, where they just roll to first in the Atlantic. And then probably stumble in the playoffs, but um, there's the Lightning have to play the long game here. They've got a, you know some veterans on this roster. Uh, I, I, I think slow and steady will eventually win the race, but I could see the Leafs being shot out of a cannon uh, in the regular season to win the division. I have the same exact thoughts, and hey. that's how I had it. I, I just think they're just playing with so much momentum and hype, energy, and all that jazz. Uh, I think the biggest thing to watch with the Lightning, in my opinion, is Julian Brisbois. I mm-hmm. totally butcher that, but just Brice being bra, uh, God, that was terrible. Uh, and what he does in his first year as GM, and if he's as active as Geiserman was, and one of the contracts I'm looking at is Ryan Callahan. Are they able to yeah. move that? Because I bet his predecessor was able to, but can Julianne do it? And the interesting thing for me with Toronto is to see how reliant they are on on, on Freddie Anderson and goal. I think at times last year he. I mean, God, he saved their bacon on more occasions than not defensively. That's the one thing holding me back. Like, I think they're trying to do this thing like the Penguins did a few years ago, where they have three really great lines with three, you know, with dominant players in each line, and then trying to kind of do it with a, a slightly above average defensive group, but nobody back there that's going to really be the kind of Stanley Cup caliber 27 minute, a minute a night stopper that you need to win. Uh, can they do it? I, I've seen people pick them to win the cup. I just don't see it yet. I think they still need one more piece. All right, so that's the Atlantic. So you, we both we have all four of the same playoff teams: Leafs, Lightning, Florida, and Boston, which means that four teams come out of the Metro. So let's get into the Metro. Rangers last, obviously. Obviously, I got Islanders last. <laughs> wow! You think the removal of John Tavares from the New York Islanders, despite the presence of Barry Trotz, despite the pride the Islanders will have to show everybody that they are still worth something, that they were more than just John Tavares and a bunch of guys. You think that they finished last in the Metro Division? I think they're going to implode. All right, fair enough. That means you have the Rangers 7th? I do have the Rangers 7th, and I think they're going to be slightly better than people think. I think they're going to be caught in this really awkward limbo where they should be tanking and trying to be a lottery team, but there's too many guys there that are competitive, like a Matt Zuccarello type or um, Mika Zibanejad, those kind of guys. And yeah. I, I think they're going to be good. Kevin Hayes is playing for a new contract, all that. David Quinn, I think, is going to rile these guys up. The blue line worries me uh, a bit, and but look, when Hanks in net, 
they can win any game. So, when, yeah, despite the fact that I think he's been hung out to dry more often than not in the last two years, I think the guy, the guys you name are all good. I also think there's a chance they all be traded by the by the, yeah. by the deadline. <laughs> um, I, I think the Rangers are going to finish last because I, I feel like it's by design to finish to have them finish last. This is the year in which they they go in the tank. You know, they get a good pick. They come back next year probably with both Eric Carlson and Artemi Panarin, Panarin on their roster. And Jack because, Hughes. <laughs> because that's the, yeah, because that's the Ranger way. Um, no matter what they say. Uh, the Islanders, there's a part of me that really wants them to be the defiant, almost Vegas Golden Knights-like team this year where they, uh, internalize and, and compartmentalize all of that angst about being written off and Tavares picking another team over them. Tom Knuckle scores 40 goals. Yeah. But that's the problem. Like, once you take Tavares away from Bailey and, and Anders Lee, what do you have? Like, what do you what what do you have Barzell. exactly with those players? But Barzell, yeah, I'm, like, like Barzell is going to be great, but the rest of that roster is not. And like the the the, the scrambly Lou Lamarillo trying to you know uh, put band aids on a, a bullet ridden body is uh, <laughs> is 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 always a bad look. And I feel like that's where the Islanders are right now. So seventh for me, only because the Rangers are going to lose because they're trying to lose. Devil's sixth for me, and I, wow. and I know this is a, this is a tough one for me, man. Like I, I love what they did last year. I, I, John Hines was a guy that I thought should have been fired. I was wrong. Um, he's a guy who actually has a pretty good system. Just needed some talent to to play the roles that he needed them to play. They, I, I would love if they were a playoff team, without question. But can you can you get what you got out of Taylor Hall last year? Can you get what you got out of Keith Kincaid last year if you don't get Corey Schneider back to being Corey Schneider? I think there's a lot of question marks hanging over this team, a team that went on a mad sprint to the finish line just to make the playoffs last year. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, a little bit doggish on them, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to say they're sixth. Okay. But obviously, would, would love nothing more than my sweet boys to make the playoffs. Well, I think we're flipped here because my number six is the Carolina Hurricanes, who in years past have been everybody's favorite sleeper team and probably are again this year, but. I'm concerned about goaltending. I'm concerned about Scott Darling. Even before he got injured, it looks like he's going to miss a few weeks. Uh, the interview you'll hear later with Rod Brindamore, I asked him about goaltending. It's before the prognosis actually came out about Scott Darling. And he defended it as saying, look, Peter Mrazek is a guy, and you'll hear his whole answer, that came in here to compete and prove something. So, sure, Mrazek might be better than expected, but I, I really i am worried about that. And I think there's so many young, exciting players uh, there. I think the culture change is happening, uh, but it's going to take a year. Look, I put no faith in Peter Mrazek. No one has faith no. in Peter Mrazek. But he, he was available to the Golden Knights. They're like, ah, sorry, not we don't need it. Um, the, the, he was a disaster for the Flyers last year. Uh, it worries me to no end that the Hurricanes are going to get off to a horrific start under a new coach. I hope that's not the case, but it's a possibility. But they had even when Darling grind in the preseason. But even when Darling comes back, it's not like you're bringing back Jonathan Quick. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, you know, you, this is subpar goaltending on a team that needs good goaltending to stabilize things because you are dealing with a pretty young group in some places. So I, I, I want to believe. I want them to be good. It breaks my heart that the people of Raleigh don't get playoff games. Uh, and, and I want, you know, nothing more than for like Rod Brindamore to prove me wrong that he's not exactly a master tactician. The one thing um, I'll say about them though is one of the most young, exciting defensive groups in all of the NHL. Sure. Like, these guys can develop together and be awesome for many years to come. Absolutely. To the point where they should trade Justin Falk in a minute to, to, to Toronto or somewhere to get themselves a center. They gotta mm-hmm. get a center. They're a donut right now in my eyes. So I, 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 I have them fifth. I have my head of the devils, all that said. 
And the only reason I'm picking the devils, honestly, is I just counted them last year. I just didn't figure out why it was working, and it worked. And yeah. I think John Hines is one of the best coaches in the NHL. I really do. The way he is yeah. able to, you know, motivate these youngsters, they all I buy agree. in. Hey, if you want to check out something cool, by the way, the uh, NHL Network's doing a thing where they're doing a, a documentary series in the Devils preseason. The first episode is bad, but don't pay attention to it. The second episode's really interesting. It has all that like hard knocks guys getting cut drama, which I think you'll like. It's it's pretty good. Um, the Blue Jackets, I have fourth. I have them as a playoff team. I didn't want to make them a playoff team. I wanted to put the Sabres in over them, but at the very last minute, I'm like, all right, they're they're going to hold on to Panarin too long. And, and Bobrovsky is still really good if he stays healthy. So they've got the mix to make the playoffs. This might be a, a team that I- explodes after the season as far as guys leaving. But as, as of right now, I think the Blue Jackets still make the playoffs. Yeah, they're actually the team I want to make the playoffs so bad because I want to believe everything's going to go right for them. And it's cruel that it's not. But I think Yarmo Kikalainen is an assassin. I think he is not <laughs> going to do anything emotional. He might trade Panarin tomorrow. He might trade Panarin by the time I'm done with this sentence. Uh, it doesn't matter. I think, um, he's built such a great. See, what? I disagree. I think, I think he, I think they are going to hang on to him. It's going to be Tavares. Well, again. he's going to think, produce. That's the problem. No, no, but I think they're going to hang on to him through the deadline. They're going to be in the playoff mix. They're not going to be a cup contender, and they're going to let him stay, and they're going to lose him for nothing. Like that's what I think is going to happen. All right, let's put a friendly bet offline on right. right now. Let's let's put on a, a delicious lunch at the ESPN commissary in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three for me is the Flyers. Oh, I, I said last, I said this week on Twitter they're a lock. I do consider them a lock. I know people are freaking about the goaltending. Dude, come on. Like, if, 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 if Elliot's terrible and he's not, if Neuverth is hurt and he probably will be, Carter Hart's gonna come to the rescue of this team before too long. It's, it's gonna happen. And then it's we're so gonna all cause... treat him like the, like the black and orange Ken Dryden that he is riding into the rescue and saving a team. It's so funny cause they're doing everything in their power to stick to the plan, right? Like, Ron Hextall does not want to play this kid, and he's going to have to play him. I actually have the Flyers second in the division for me. It's the Capitals at number three, I think. Oh. Uh, The Caps are going to come out with a lot of steam after winning the Cup, all Mm -hmm. this adrenaline, and then they're just going to fall flat for a little bit of the stretch. They'll still make the playoffs and still probably make a run, but I love this Flyers team. I don't know what it is about them. I I think Provorov is, is... Probably yeah. the most underrated defenseman in the league. I think mm-hmm. their forward talent is Wayne Simmons is healthy again, is, you know, can compete yeah. with pretty much anyone. I, I really like them, and I'm sorry to all the Flyers fans who doesn't want to see Dave Haxtell succeed, but he's going to succeed. Yeah, there's a, this sort of, like, weird sort of counterintuitive thing where Flyers fans want to seem to fail because they don't like Haxtell. Yeah. Uh, but but I agree with everything you said. Obviously, Goss is bare, too. Uh, two great lines. Uh, I think they're a lock for the playoffs. I think above all else, Emily, they're gritty. Uh, I have the Capitals second. I understand what you're saying. You, of course, once wrote a, an opus about coconut water, so you know about hangovers. Yeah. Uh, there might be one for the Capitals. But, again, it's also a weird thing where, like, is it good or bad that outside of maybe a couple of bit players, they return the exact same team? I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if that breeds complacency or it breeds consistency. Whatever the case, it's kind of a weird deal. Penguins first for me. Me too. There it is. Sidney Crosby on the warpath, a healthy Matt Murray, uh, and also a Matt Murray that, 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 God willing, won't have to deal with the off-ice stuff that he dealt with last year uh, to kind of be a stabilizing force for them. I just think that, you know, you're going to see the resurgence of the Penguins this year uh, to win that division. Doesn't mean they're going to win the Cup again, but I think they're, they're going to win the division and be on the warpath. 
So Penguins, Capitals, Flyers, Blue Jackets, for both of us. Neither of us are believers in the Hurricanes or the Buffalo Sabres in this conference. No, we're lame. Well, you know, that's going to be pretty bad news for our, our, our guest this week, our first guest, Rod Brindamore. Before we get to Rod the Bod, he's a good-looking man, right? He's got the bod. He works out. Wait till you, know you hear what? about the shape he's still in. There you go. But you know what? If you want to look good, get yourself to Indochino. Custom menswear, ladies and gentlemen, and a proud sponsor of this podcast. Uh, they're expanding into casual clothing with made-to-measure chinos, which is good news for anybody who's ever gotten anything from this company. I happen to know this company intimately, Emily, because oh. I got my wedding tuxedo from Indochino. I looked very stylish huh. and blue. And, I did not uh, know. And if you are someone like me, who is differently proportioned, you got to get your clothes tailored sometimes if you want to look good. And these guys made me look good. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. And there is a wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from. This is something I did, too, because the inside of my jacket was a crazy, like, uh, uh, design. And you get to pick the design inside your jacket. And for anybody who likes to customize stuff, that's always a good thing. Here's how it works. You visit a stylist at their sh- a stylist at their showroom, have them take some measurements, or measure at home, and shop online at Indochino.com. You choose your fabric, you choose your design customizations, you submit your measurements, and you relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple weeks. This week, listeners to ESPN on Ice can get any premium Indochino suit for three hundred and fifty-nine bucks. At Indochino.com when deal. entering when entering the code word ICE. That's the promo code ICE, I-C-E, at checkout. That's 50% off regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code ICE for any premium suit for just 359 bucks and free shipping. An incredible deal for a premium made-measured suit. And remember, they're expanding into casual clothing, so your made-to-measure chinos will quickly become your go-to pant, pairing as easily with a suit jacket as they do with a sweater. They'll be good any time of year, for any occasion. Indochinos are at an inter- introductory price of 79 bucks American for our Canadian listeners. Indochino.com. All right, Emily, Rod the Bod, tell us about them. He needs no introduction, but he is a longtime player with the Carolina Hurricanes, has been in their system, coaching for the last couple of years, and this year finally gets the chance as being head coach. Well, now joining us is new Carolina Hurricanes coach, Rod Brindamore. Rod, the first thing I want to know is a very hard-hitting question. Uh, I saw in training camp you guys had two teams. It was Team Grit and Team Grind. Was that your idea? <laughs> Well, it wasn't much of an idea. We needed to come up with some names for uh, groups. And in the past, it's usually Group A or Group B, and I felt like uh, be a little creative. So, yeah, I guess I, I can take credit for that. It was the most hockey thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. Was that a good thing then? <laughs> yeah, oh. very good. All right. All right. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, you're someone that didn't envision becoming a head coach in the NHL. What advantages do you think that has? Uh well, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, but I think I think the advantage of just being a player, I think I can, you know, I'm pretty dialed in on what the guys are thinking. Um, just haven't been there, and 
wasn't too many situations in my playing days that I didn't come across. And, you know, I was a first line player, second, third, fourth line player. I, mean, I kind of went through the whole thing. And I think that gives me an advantage, at least early on, with relating to the players. And uh, I think I have an advantage that, you know, I know all these guys because uh, I've been in the organization for a long time. So I kind of know what we have. And so, and they know me too. So I think that helps uh, at least early on here, getting uh, getting things moving forward. You mentioned coaching for the last couple of years. We hear so much about how different it is to reach millennials. In the past few years of coaching, what's something that you've noticed and what techniques do you use to get through to them? Well, it is a different time for sure than certainly when I came in the league. But, uh, I mean, I've got three kids that are that age. I mean, we're a really young team. So I, I kind of feel like I'm talking to, you know, my kids at sometimes. I mean, we got 18 and 19-year-olds playing on our team. So it's, uh, you know the end of the day you got to get to know each person and now i guess each player individually and what makes them tick and it's not like the old days where you just kind of screamed at people and they did stuff it doesn't that doesn't work so you got to just gotta spend the time get to know your players and then uh, treat them a little bit differently but uh, within the parameters of your team you know everyone's got to follow the same standards that you set and um you know it's a challenge but they're all good kids and that's that's the part i enjoy coaching is there anything you've tried, like maybe shorter meetings because of attention spans? Or, you know, I've heard some coaches say that they feel they need to implant an idea so the player feels like it was his idea and he can take ownership of it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they, they don't necessarily, a lot of kids don't like to be, you know, told that they're doing something wrong. Or, um, you know, you got to show them, uh, number one, you're right on, on short videos, but we have never, we don't have any video meetings longer than two minutes as far as actual video time. Everything is just quick to the point, and um, and you're right. If you can make them think that it's their idea on something, it really does help. But at the end of the day, you know, for us, it's just caring about these kids. I think if they feel like you got their best interests, I think that's the, the way to go about it. Who are the biggest influences as far as your coaching style? Well, I've been asked that question a lot, and, and you know, I was fortunate to play a long time. I think when I look back, I had something like 17 different head coaches, you know, over my career versus on, on certain teams I played with and then the World Championships, Olympics, all the things that I was able to, you know, be fortunate enough to experience. And then you kind of use a, a little bit of everybody's stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, you got to be yourself. I know that, uh, you know, I was fortunate uh, to be with Pierre Laviolette. And, you know, he was my coach when we won the Cup. But, you know, I, I really believed in the stuff he was doing and how he got us to, to be a team. So I, I would say if there was one guy, I would say he was probably the biggest influence, uh, or is, has been, in the, you know, going forward here. Um, I, I, he was just, he's a great coach. Goaltending has been a big Achilles heel for this team for years. How is this year going to be different? Good question. I, I think, um, you know, number one, we brought in another uh, player, Peter Mrazek, who's been a starter before, and I think he's looking to... I don't want to say redeem himself, but there's, there, you know, he's had a little bit of a rough year last year. And so I, I like guys coming back, trying to prove themselves. And then obviously Scott Darling's here and put in a lot of work this summer um, to get to get his game and his, uh, his whole mental approach to, you know, to hockey and the commitment right up to where it needs to be. So I think we're in good shape. Obviously, it doesn't matter what team you talk about in the NHL. If their goaltending is, you know, below average, they're going to have a tough time. Uh, Jacob Slavin, I saw him recently. He told me you're still always in the gym and you're kind of crushing it. Can you walk us me through what your post career gym routine is like? Well, well, here's what I believe, and, and you know, I'm I'm still 
I mean, I'm old now, but I still can get after it a little bit. And it certainly makes your message a lot, you know, easier to, you know, lay out there if you can still kind of walk the walk in and that's not just talk the talk. So um, any of that preseason testing we do, you know, I make sure I can get through it. And if I can do it, there's sure, certainly they can do it. So I think it just carries a little more weight when, when you can, you know, do some of the stuff that the players are expected to do. Certainly don't have any excuses. You did all the preseason testing with the guys? Well, I didn't do it with them. I just did it beforehand in the beginning of the summer to make sure that the standards that we were, you know, wanting to, you know, to uphold to were reachable and doable. And I just felt like if whatever I could manage to do would be certainly acceptable for the guys to do. So I didn't want to make sure, you know, I didn't want to do anything that you know, didn't make sense. But um, I think we came to a pretty good uh, solution on all that. And the standard that we set here is, is, is high, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not unrealistic. Would your marks have been okay to make the Hurricanes opening night roster? Well, my marks would have, but my play certainly wouldn't. So that's, you know, there's a reason that I'm doing this now. And, um, no, there's no mistake about that. Uh, I'm, I'm not, that game has passed me a long time ago. <laughs> Well, we've got a ton of buzz, especially, you know, ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. Everyone want to talk about those wearless jerseys you guys are wearing. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I didn't play for Hartford. Um, you know, I got down here when I played, played for the Hurricanes and played against Hartford a lot. Unique uh, color scheme. I think um, I think it's going to be neat. It's different, right? I, I, I think it's something different. Create some buzz for our team anyway, and um, I'm not sure if it's something that's going to be continued on or what, if this is a one-off, but, uh, um, I'm, I'm all for it. Why not? I mean, it's part of the past of this organization and, uh, I think it's, uh, it'll be a fun couple. I think we're doing it a couple of times. I'm not even sure, but it'll be fun. Well, I think night for all the fans. All right. My last thing for you is recording this before the season opener. And as you said, you've coached in this organization for some years and you've been around these guys. Make me look smart. What's one guy? Who's one guy I don't know, but has really impressed you and is going to be a breakout player for the Canes this year? Make you look smart. Well, I'd love to say twenty guys, right? Because that would make <laughs> me my job a lot easier. But I, I would say, well, everyone knows Sebastian Ajo, so I, I can't go with that one. Um, you know what? I'm going to pick a young kid. We just we kept on here that earned his spot in Warren Fogley. I yeah. think uh, I think you know he came out of nowhere and just earned his right to be on the team and you know he's here opening night so um you know keep your eye on him and uh, i think he'll he'll surprise some people coach i appreciate your time you did this all while in the carpool line and driving your kid home so yeah that's very that's impressive right. <laughs> not really but thank you <laughs> all right well best of luck this year thank you very much take care our thanks to rod brindamore for joining us here on espn and ice but now it is time to talk about the other conference, the meat grinder, the place where teams that otherwise would be playoff teams in the East will be also Rams in their divisions. We're talking about the Western Conference. Let's begin in the Pacific, because I think that's the easier one to figure out. I do, too. <laughs> Although there's a lot of jumble-jumble in the middle. There's Everything's a jumble-jumble. Like I said the other day, man, there's only a, few, a handful of teams you can say are locks. And a couple of them are in this division, and a couple of them are in the Central, but everybody else throw their names in a hat. One team that's a lock to finish eighth is the Canucks. Do you agree? Agree. <laughs> Full stop. 
Now, they're probably going to have a, call, a potential call to winner in Elias Pettersson. They're going to have a dynamic top line that we saw last year when it was healthy, uh, featuring our, our, our sweet boy, Brock Besser. But again, this no depth and, and, it, and uh, like one of only maybe two teams, three at the most in the NHL this season that you can say are designed to fail, designed to fail, designed to get a high pick, designed to tank a little bit and, and come back uh, stronger with younger players. So if you're picking them to finish anywhere but eighth, it's because they screwed up their own plan. That's I agree. I think there's yep. some questionable signings uh, in terms of term. Uh, I'm looking at you, Jay Beagle, unfortunately. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, defense is not great and goaltending is subpar. So they're finishing eighth. Uh, my finishing seventh, and I felt very weird about it because I want them to do well and I, I could see them doing well, but it's the Arizona Coyotes. See, I did too. I completely agree. It's, it's, I, I, there is a, ch- if, if the chemistry somehow, look, I sucked in science when I was in high school. I was really good at biology cutting up things when it came to physics and chemistry not as much maybe a little too much math or whatever but if the chemistry is right with the coyotes with these forward groups they have and they're super fast then you and i will be wrong auntie ranta could make us wrong they've got a pretty decent little group of defensemen when they're healthy that could prove us wrong but in this division in this roster as it's currently constituted I just don't, I don't see what everybody else is seeing. I, I think people are seeing how good Ronto was last year and saying over the course of 55 to 60 games, you give me that goaltending and they're going to be fine. But we haven't seen that goaltending for 55 or 60 games. Yeah. Obviously they finished the season strong, which everyone kind of hangs their hat on. But the only thing, and I'm with you, it's chemistry. The only reason I can see them making the playoffs is that they adopt the similar Golden Knights band of misfits attitude. There's a <laughs> bunch of guys who were traded there, right? Their other team didn't want yeah. them. Vinny Henestroza in Chicago, guys like that. Strom yeah. is hanging on for his NHL life. Like if those guys all overperform, uh, for all of these outside reasons and all the intangibles, mm-hmm. uh, they make the playoffs. If not, they just take another step. I found it interesting that your preamble about the Coyotes is exactly how I feel about this number six team, a team that I desperately want to do well because I, I like them. There's a lot to like about them, but I just have my doubts. Oh, they can't be the Oilers then. No, <laughs> There's not a lot it, to like it, about the Oilers. Stay stay in that province. It's the Calgary Flames. Um, Ooh, this yeah, is where we I, differ widely. I listen defensively. Uh, that 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 blue line is 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 two solid pairings. Um, the top line, even whether you put uh, uh, Lindholm up there or you put Neil up there, it's going to be great. Um, the backland Kachuk line, very good. Um, there's a lot to like here outside of their coach, who I don't like, and outside of their goaltender, who I don't have faith in. So when I don't have faith in the coach, who I think is wildly overrated, and I don't have faith in the goaltender who had a resurgent year last year, but to me is nothing to write home about, then I can't in good faith say they're going to do anything in this division, and I can't in good faith say they're going to return to the playoffs, even though they've got a lot to like on paper. Guess who your girl has number three making the playoffs? <laughs> the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames. It's not the hill I want to die on, but I'm, I'm ready to stand atop the hill and, and wave my Flames you're, flag. You're not the first or the last to say the Flames are going to make the playoffs. I, I you know... Assume that many of these picks I've made are incorrect. That may be one of them. So the team I, I have not making the playoffs at number six is the Oilers. And okay. I think it's going to be a lot of the same as we saw last year. Mm. I think they do have a problem in goal. Cam Talbot is playing for a new contract, but he's not what he was in that season where he had that ridiculous workload. I, I think the defense is meh. I think the offense, I think this, um, who is it? Um, 
Tyratty. Yeah. Who's, who's everyone gushing about? Yeah. And he's going to be the winger du jour that everyone gets excited about, and that's about right. it. Right. He's going to get his, 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 his stats inflated by McDavid, and then someone will give him a contract, and, and then he'll still suck. Um, the Oilers, as I've, I've, I've made clear in, in many places over the last few months, are my number three team. I think that the con, re- the con renaissance is real. I think uh, both goalies are going to be good enough during different stretches to backstop this team to a playoff spot. And I think that McDavid's going to drag them there, kicking and screaming, and win the heart that he didn't win last year because they didn't make the playoffs. I just think that there there is a reversal of fortune that will happen. There are guys in that roster who didn't play well last year that I think will come back. Do I Am I worried about the defense? Every night. It keeps me awake. It, it, I, I'm staring at the ceiling worried about that defense, but I think they're going to be bailed out by their goaltending this year versus not being bailed out last year, and they're going to make the playoffs at the third seed. Number five for me was the L.A. Kings. Ditto. Yeah. Now, this is a tough one because on paper, like, you put Kovalchuk with Kopitar, they're going to be okay. A healthy Carter, that adds offense. Jonathan Quick is very capable of winning another Jennings. Um... But I don't know. I feel like things kind of came together in a way that last year that they didn't this that they won't this year. There was sort of the the changeover from Daryl Sutter to John Stevens that I think opened up a lot of people's minds and hearts that won't happen again this year. Uh, and it's a very competitive division. I am not one of these people that think that that thinks that Kovalchuk is going to be garbage. I think it's a real KHL bias and an age bias creeping in. I think he's going to pick up thirty plus points on the power play alone. Uh, but the LA Kings, uh, despite making the playoffs last year, I think miss it this year. In a league where everyone is getting faster and everyone's getting younger, this is a team that's just slow. And yeah. I appreciate them doubling down. Like, this is our window. We, we got to mm-hmm. win now. You get a, the highest prize free agent who is slow in Kovalchuk, but it just doesn't do it for me. I think the, the Ducks will have fourth. Do you have them fourth or do you have them in the I playoffs? Do. Okay. I think they they're an interesting out. case because, yeah, they're old in, in some places. And yeah, the loss of Perry and Kessler's injuries are, are, are both. Uh, not good, troublesome. There's a lot to love on this team, though. Their blue line is stout. Gibson's as good as anybody in this league between the pipes. The Henrik and Andre Kasha pairing is one of the most underrated in the conference as far as their ability to generate offense beyond Ricard, what's on the top line. Ricard Raquel is one of the more underrated yeah. forwards in the league. Yeah, I think Troy Terry is a stealth Calder candidate if he gets a lot of time with Getzlaff. There's lots mm-hmm. to like here, um, but not enough for me to put them in the playoffs again. And in I, fact, I, I I think that there is a chance things could go sideways and uh, and that uh, Randy Carlisle could uh, turn into Dallas Eakins uh, before the year is out. Remember, Randy Carlisle, last year of his contract, team option for next season. If this team struggles out of the gate, I think he's, he's on his behind. I agree. This is kind of a boomer bust team, but the boom ceiling is just not that high. All right. So two left. Golden Knights and Sharks. Who do you have winning the division? I got the sweet golden knights. <laughs> uh, and here, I'll tell you why. It's like, everyone's like, oh, they can't repeat what they did last year. Um, you know, they were the golden misfits. That doesn't replicate. They're still the golden misfits. Nobody believes that they can repeat what they did last year. They can still rally around that. Yes, they lose James Neal, but they bring in two very legitimate players. Like, the fact that they can bring in Stasny slots every other mm-hmm. center down to where they naturally yeah. belong. Yeah. And the fact that they bring in Max Pacioretty, who, let's face it, is actually a golden misfit, would have fit perfectly in with this group, has so much to prove, chip on his shoulder, things did not end well in Montreal. Uh, this team is going to win. And, like, it's not even a goaltending if for them because I do think Marc-Andre Fleury will, you know, maybe not 
totally matched the production as last year, but uh, meet their 80%. But for some reason, goalies just do well there. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, I, Schmidt I, suspension. I think the Carlson Sharks finished second. Um, that does not in any way disqualify them from advancing, as we'll talk about in a bit. But I think the Golden Knights finished first. I still think that's a very, very difficult place to play. As, as guys like Steven Stamkos said last year in the regular season, that always feels like a playoff game there. I think that, that atmosphere remains for, especially for a team that was that successful. And the additions of Bacioretti and Stasny counterbalance the loss of all those off-ice catalysts they had last year as far as the psychology of it goes. So yeah, I'm digging, I'm digging the Knights to win the Pacific as well with the Sharks finishing second, putting them into a death, a death series with the uh, Edmonton Oilers, who I think they'll defeat, as you'll see. Which means that both of us, by my calculations, have five central teams getting in. Yeah, I think it's going to be the same deal as last year. That division is the one to beat. But, All right. Um, the, just one thing about the Sharks, because I feel like we didn't give them due justice. Mm-hmm. How excited are you to watch that power play? It's going to be insane. I'm excited to watch a lot of things about that team. As as we'll talk about, like there are, there are aspects of the Sharks that have me a little bit wary, but you look at the fact that they can trot uh, Burns and Carlson on the ice for 55 minutes of a 60-minute game is insane to me. Like, that's just an advantage that few teams outside of maybe Nashville have. Uh, Central. Blackhawks finish last? Yes. All right. No homer picks over here on this other side of the microphone. I think the most interesting <laughs> thing with the Blackhawks this season is actually off the ice. And, you know, they built up all this goodwill in the city of Chicago. They created this new fan base. Well, now they're not doing so well. And how can they keep these guys around all these 20 and 30 somethings who now have expendable incomes uh, and tickets are super expensive. So look, uh, Corey Crawford. Now they're saying Joel Quinville says October 18th. It's a game against Arizona. And that's being optimistic. Cam Ward it's Cam Ward. Uh, the goaltending suspect, the defense is meh. You got Henry Yokoharu and that's pretty much uh, what we have to be excited about. And I, I think, you know, you also have to wonder if Jonathan Taze has lost a step and if he's kind of battling some things with his body yeah, because he really regressed last year. It sucks because I, I think the world is a more interesting place when the Blackhawks are good. I think people that uh, have bemoaned the fact that yeah, every outdoor game has the Blackhawks, which is demonstrably true because you're playing at Notre Dame this year. That's you who says that. <laughs> That's not me. That's Dave. Dave Lozo says it. Ryan Lambert says it. A lot of my friends say it. Mm. Don't group me in with those miscreants. It's my association. My I bad. like to my see bad. the Blackhawks as much as I can. I just think that maybe, you know, it'd be good to see the Lightning occasionally or the Predators occasionally. But I, I'm gonna, we're gonna miss the Blackhawks when they're gone and they're pretty, probably pretty much gone right now. The Avalanche I have sixth, which is the, a pick that I, I struggled with. I think that they could be a playoff team again this year based on Varlamov and Grubauer and goal. I still don't think they've got a lot of depth going on beyond the McKinnon line, but that, that goaltending is better this year than it was last year and that goaltending last year was good enough to get them into the playoffs. I agree. I have them here and I also struggled with it because I'm thinking, okay, they've got to take a step ahead of where they were last year. Uh, defense to me is a bit thin. Like Ian Cole doesn't really inspire me. I think Sam Gerrard is going to be a fine player, but still has some growing pains. So, um, it's that and the fact that the top line is awesome. Like so terrific. Rontadin does not get enough credit. Landeskog too. Obviously McKinnon, but beyond that, no one scores. Okay, so we both have the Avalanche out, which means that we have the same five playoff teams in the Central. It just depends on where we've placed them. Who's fifth for you? It's the Wild. Me too. I, there's I, something about the Wild that just doesn't excite me. They're good. No, yeah. talent. They'll make the playoffs. They'll be at the first round. Right. Welcome to the last 10 years of the Wild. I, I, I think Bruce Boudreaux is a guy who gets his team into the playoffs. And they still have Devin Dubnik. That lineup is very deep. It's not good, necessarily, but they've got guys... 
I mean, that's what you could say. If there was a slogan for the wild, it would be, we got guys. They just have a lot of guys. They're, they're, some of them are old and some of them are young and some of them score and some of them don't. But when you put them all together in a, on a team, they're good enough to make the playoffs and then do absolutely nothing afterwards, but good enough to make the playoffs. Number four, the Dallas Stars. Ditto. I'm in, I'm on the Jim Montgomery train. I, I think, uh, friend of the pod. There are a couple things that I'm worried about. Uh, Nikushkin coming back, they have to, they have to get some semblance of a second line going after Spezza had the worst year of his career last year. And they're hoping that that, that combination works. The top line's unimpeachable. Klingberg's unimpeachable. Uh, the goaltending is very strong. The coaching mm. is going to be there. Goaltending. What are you not a Ben Bishop? A Bishop, Bishop and Kadobin? Come on. Uh, I agree that Kadobin is a great addition. I am very concerned about Ben Bishop's body holding up and, and that concerns me. All right, fair. Yeah, that would, what a legacy it would be for Dallas Stars fans then to go from the, the, uh, Mr. Glass of Kari Lettinen to, uh, to Ben Bishop and all of a sudden he can't stay healthy. That'd be a very sad thing. So we both like the Stars fourth, which I imagine means we both like the Blues third. It is true. I do have okay. the Blues third and I was a fangirl of this team last year and I am going to ride that into this season. I think when you add three top six players, plus a third-line center to a team that was just almost good enough to make the playoffs last year. Uh, that's a good recipe for success. They've got Pitrangelo that they can ride on the right side with Pareko behind him on the second pairing. Uh, goaltending's a big if. You don't know what they're going to get out of that, but I think it's good enough to finish third in this very difficult division. You spent like seven words on the goaltending. To me, that's the that's the whole ball game right there. If they don't get, if they don't get uh, uh, Jake Allen... As a franchise level goaltender, they don't get Jake Allen as a guy who could potentially backstop a team to a cup. Chad Johnson's not saving the day like like Carter Hutton did last year. But maybe Bob is. I mean, yeah, you could. There there are other solutions, but like again, like to me, the game is still Jake Allen, and and the game is whether or not this is the make or break season for this guy. Whether or not he can be the guy they need. If he is, they could win the cup. They could flat out win the cup this year if Jake Allen can be as good as someone like uh, Gibson, you know, or, or, or Halleback. Like, like, like they could win the cup potentially, but I don't think he is, and that makes me nervous. But they're still a very good team, and we'll and we'll finish third, which means we got Jets and Preds at the top of the division. Who wins the Central? Okay, I've already talked about my other teams and fangirls of, but I am getting on the wagon of the Winnipeg Jets. I love this team. I think they are perfect in my eyes. They've got the size and the grit, but they've also got the skill. Uh, they're so tough to play against. Uh, you know I love Line A. I love Shifley. Met him this summer. I, I found him to be one of the most oh, fascinating you, guys in the NHL. If you've not seen it, the story that Emily wrote on, on Shifley is really, really good as far as his uh, regimen and such. It's fantastic. Yeah, and just the evolution of him becoming an elite player I found fascinating. But you should w- hear the way this guy talks about things like his workout and maximizing food it's it's pretty freaky and obviously the big you know headliner there is that he's so obsessed with tom brady not only did he hire a private chef like tom brady but he flew that chef to boston to meet tom brady's chef i mean that's ridiculous so yeah (laughs) that gets him in the playoffs and that gets him winning the central and in my mind going further than that yeah oh all right so i got the pred second and the jets first as well jets my my hesitation about the jets as as an overall contender is that center spot? I, I I thought if they had somehow found a way to, to to convince Paul Stasny to stay in Winnipeg, they'd be in much better shape as they are right now than they are right now. Shifley, great little 
okay. I, <laughs> I, I think he's fine. I'd like him on the third line versus the second line, but you throw anybody with Patrick Line and you're going to be all right. Um, I just, I, I find the forward depth to be a little bit suspect, uh, in a, in a very tough conference, but they're going to be good enough. I mean, they skate, the way they skate and the way they play is good enough to win that division, uh, provided they get the goaltending again. But now we come to the moment of truth. Let's get right to it. Moment of truth. We've named all of our playoff teams. Jets, Predators, Blue Stars, Wild. Uh, Golden Knights, Sharks, and in your case, Flames, in my case, Oilers. Who wins the Western Conference? Who will be the team that plays for Lord Stanley's Cup, the holy grail of hockey, out of the Western Conference? The Winnipeg Jets. All right. That's a chalk pick, you know. Like, that is a favorite for a lot of people. I know. I'm not trendy. Now, why do you think, do you think, do you think they make a move to address the center spot or do you think it's not the issue that I make it out to be? I think they could. I think Sheveldayoff could. I mean, the, there's two available in Ottawa. They're going to be pretty pricey. And, you know, this is a team that shelled out a bunch of money this offseason um, and yeah. has to make some more decisions with some defensemen coming pe- up. Pe- but. People have, fan, have been fan casting a Jacob Truba for Derek Broussard and stuff trade with the Penguins as well. But Truba is the one guy that I think you could move just because of his contract situation if you don't want to mm-hmm. pay him. Yeah. All right, well, that's fine. My pick out of the West, and again, maybe it's just that I sat down with a well-manicured Doug Wilson while I was out in California, and he seemed to really sell me on and it. And you bought what he was selling? I bought what he, he's a very smooth operator. He, I, would, I would have bought a car from that man. Uh, the San Jose Sharks are my team to come out of the West. This is, of course, a wish that my heart is making that Joe Thornton gets another crack at the cup before he uh, retires, that the Eric Carlson trade. I want Fortune favors the bold, Emily. And ain't nobody bolder than what Doug Wilson has done in the last couple of years with the Evander Kane trade, with the, with the saying goodbye to Marlowe, with the, with the with Martin Jones laundering through Boston to this Eric Carlson thing. I, I, I want the Sharks to succeed. I think they will succeed. Like I said, Burns and Carlson on two different defense pairings, it gives them an advantage few teams have. So the San Jose Sharks are my Western Conference champions, uh, to play for the cup. Who, who are they playing? Who are they playing? Well, I mean, they're playing the Lightning. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really wish I could be like, uh, they're playing Boston. Joe Thornton against the Bruins. Oh, no, the Lightning are the deepest, best team in hockey. Um, I, I will be moderately shocked if they don't manifest into a, a conference champion this year. This is the year it's all been leading up to. I feel like I'm pitching a season finale. This is the, like, McDonough signed, Hedman signed. You know, Sergich, on the Vasilevsky's proven he could be a starter. And wait, Kucherov's a superstar. The last five minutes. Yeah, yeah, do not miss the. That's right. Um, I can't imagine a scenario in which this team doesn't make the fi- the conference final. I can't. I, I will be moderately shocked if they don't make the cup final. They're my pick out of the East. The only way I see them not winning is 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 under two conditions. One, if it's the Leafs buzzsaw and it's just like John Tavares elevates them to something. Uh, spectacular, or if Sid decides it's time to win another cup, that's the only way they don't win the, the East and, and and make it to the Cup final. I hear you. The one team that I waffled between, and I have the Lightning as well as the Penguins, and just because I think they have it, I think Rutherford is going to make moves in season to make them even stronger. Um, and I think Matt Murray is going to bounce back. And honestly, I almost put him as my Vezina favorite because I really do oh. think he was far better than he is last year and will wow. prove that. But um, I so got who the comes out of the East? Do you have the Lightning? I got the Lightning. All right. Lightning versus Jets. Lightning versus Sharks. Who do you have winning the Cup? 
I got my Winnipeg Jets. The Cup returns to Canada for the first time since 1993. And everyone in Toronto weeps. As the Jets defeat the Lightning in a series that will be a pain in the butts in the backside to travel for. Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) What am I willing myself into? I have uh, well, uh, listen. My finals no much no no better. It's the San Jose Sharks and the uh, and Tampa Bay Lightning. Although very very nice weather, uh, I picked the Lightning over the Sharks. Like I said, I just think that this is this is the team that, they, that has been built for this moment. Um, and uh, you know, Stamkos gets his cup. Iserman gets his cup as an advisor of some sort before taking over whatever thing he's going to take over next. Uh, and and I I was thoroughly impressed outside of one month with Vasilevsky last year. Uh, to the point where I think that he's the right guy to do it. I think he's going to win the Vezina this year. And uh, the the Lightning will win the Cup over the San Jose Sharks, breaking the hearts of many who would want to see Jumbo Joe skate the Cup. But I think it's time to celebrate Stevie Stamkos skating the Cup, which is just as heartwarming based on what he's gone through. Also heartwarming, sending correspondence to the ones you love. And you know how you can do that, Emily? With our friends at Stamps.com, these days, you can get practically everything on demand. Like our podcast, for example. You can listen to it wherever you are. It's convenient for you. But did you know that you can even get postage on demand? All you need is Stamps.com. Lord knows that I have sent out an autographed book or two using Stamps.com to uh, create the ways and means for me to do so. Saves me a trip out of the apartment. You know that I don't like leaving. I'm in New York City. There's a lot of rats. I can use Stamps.com to make it all happen. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right away from your desk. Buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package. All available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click, print, mail, and you're done. And Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage each time, which comes in handy when you're mailing books. By the way, take your eye off the puck, available on Amazon. Um, <laughs> right now, use the promo code ICE, I-C-E, for this special offer, a four-week trial of Stamps.com, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. And you click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, because Emily and I are both speaking into them now. That is the signifier of podcasts. And type in the word ICE. That's stamps.com, promo code ICE. And you get yourself a four-week trial, including postage and a digital scale. All right. Who's our next guest, Emily? Now joining us in what I believe is the first repeat guest in ESPN Unice history is a terrific beat reporter for the Washington Post who covers the Washington Capitals. She does such a great job both here in America but also globally where she covers this team. Uh, our good friend Isabel Kershudian. Izzy, thank you for joining us. Wow, what an intro. Thanks, friend. Happy to be on. <laughs> I was given the honor of giving that intro, and I think I aced it. <laughs> Izzy, you were you were traveling the world this summer. Where did your travels take you? Um, okay, so for work, I went to Moscow. That's to do with the cup, which was cool and a little bit um, hectic. Uh, there's a lot going on in, like, you know, a short period of time. But then uh, on vacation, uh, my best friend and I went to Marrakesh, uh, Morocco, then Venice, and then uh, Cannes, France. And then from there, 
I went to Sweden again for work um, and met up with uh, Nick Backstrom for his day with the cup as well as uh, Christian Juice, uh, who also lives in Yavli, Sweden, which is like pretty close to Stockholm. So yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. Izzy, I know a bunch of people here in America, especially people who follow hockey closely and don't, are just so curious of what Alex Ovechkin's day was like in the cup in Russia. Like, I feel like I've gotten a couple comments. Oh, he must have been hanging out with Putin and this and that. There's all these <laughs> misconceptions. Like, take me there. What was the day like and what surprised you the most? Um, yeah, it was, you know, there was obviously some, I think like these cup days, you get like a real good vibe for the guy, you know, like kind of what he, like his personality is, what he, you know, likes to do what he enjoys, but you also get like a really good sense of um, the town. So, like, you know, Brayden Holtby's day couldn't have been like the same as like Ovechkin's because Holtby's like from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, and it's just like naturally going to be a little bit more like intimate and low key. Whereas like Ovechkin's in Moscow, and um, it was very like over the top, you know, in some areas, and then some of it was like uh, kind of sweet where. You know, he, I think he visited his late brother's grave. You know, he kind of had mm. some, he went to his old, like, childhood apartment and kind of had some private family time. He, um, but then he also had, like, these parties with, like, you know, Russian rappers and, like, these elite, uh, like, Russian elite people. Yeah, give us that, one like, detail of how no it was extra. Um, <laughs> give, me like, one, was, like, give me one detail of how it was extra. There was, like, I remember one night he comes out. Um, for his intro, and there was, like, so much confetti that, like, A, you could smell, like, the gunpowder or something from, like, that had to shoot out this confetti. But, like, B, like, he just, like, disappeared behind this, like, silver, like, you know, fog or something. Like, there was so much confetti. It was ridiculous. And, like, it's, like honestly, it, like, stank um, the whole place up. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty over the top in some regards. But he did some personal things that were, like, cool, too. Um, you also hung out with uh, with Nick Backstrom, uh, and you succeeded where many others, including myself, have failed in writing a definitive feature story about a guy who's tough to crack sometimes. Uh, what did you learn about Backstrom in hanging out in Sweden and uh, and bring into light in your story? Yeah, I, I you know there was something he said um, at the like after they won Game Six against Columbus about um, you know he just kind of made this comment, well, first I said something like, he sort of stumbled on a couple words, and I said something like, oh, um, you've been talking for so long, you literally, like, ran out of words. I was sort of joking, and he was like, oh, I've been dealing with that since I was a baby. And I didn't know, like, what he meant, and it wasn't, like, the right time to ask. So when I went to Sweden, like, I brought it up, like, that whole interaction, and I was, like, pretty surprised he was, like, open about, um, you know, just struggling with his stutter when he was a kid and how he's, like, sort of, you know, gone about, like, changing the way he speaks or, like, how he thinks about speaking. Um, you know, there was... I think that explains a little bit about, like, why he seems, like, so reserved sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, just how he went about, like, molding himself as a hockey player, as someone who everybody talks about his vision and how smart he is and all of that and... Um, he's, you know, we were sitting there at his old rink. We were in his hood where he's most comfortable and he did a really good job of kind of painting me this picture of how he grew up and, you know, what was important to him. And, um, it was really cool. I mean, I think for a guy like that, who 
is maybe a little bit more private, being there and seeing it and um, kind of coming to him, so to speak, made him a lot more like comfortable and open. It was a great story. Uh, well, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about is the Caps summer binge, right? And I asked a bunch of guys when I was down there, um, were reports of your boozing greatly exaggerated? And as a reporter, I'd just love to hear your take, you know, of how you think the media ran with it and how accurate it was. I mean, did Alex Ovechkin literally have a can of beer in his hand all summer, do you believe? No, I don't think it was, like, quite like that. I think for some guys, like, maybe. <laughs> but um, I think some guys, like, you know, they knew at some point, like, okay, it has to end. And, then, like, they might have just gotten, like, exhausted. Like, you know, I love going out and drinking, like, as much as the next person. But, like, I can't do it, like, you know, three weeks straight. Like, I need days off. Um, and when I have to work, like, I can't do it either all the time. Um, so, like, practically speaking, like, at some point, like, it just probably got to be too much. And um, they probably had to, you know change get back to work sorry as i'm talking to you guys alex Pruitt's like making really funny faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, alex that is an inside journalism joke yeah, like, ever had you one. Know, I, I think some guys like probably went hard like all summer and but, like most of them didn't well I'll put it I, I i i as a member of the professional hockey writers association appreciate your your words and your candor on on drinking uh while on the job because you're clearly bringing <laughs> our our averages down um how how is a Capitals team under Todd Reardon going to be different than a Capitals team under Barry Trotz? So I think there's a certain amount of people who believe that there is just going to be a, a continuation here. I mean, the roster is basically the same. But are we going to see some changes uh, going from one coach to another? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be all that different. I mean, I think it's going to be um, fairly similar, like, systems-wise. And, you know, obviously a lot of the changes they made defensively at the end of last season, like, Todd had a big part in. Um, but you know, maybe Todd's philosophies on certain things, you know, playing rookies in certain situations or um, certain personnel things, I think that might be different. Um, you know, Barry had this kind of rep that he didn't like playing young guys or he was afraid to scratch, like, veterans. I mean, I don't know if that was entirely fair either, but it does seem like Todd is a little bit more modern inclined. I don't know if that's, like, the right way to put it, where you know, he would like to, you know, he's going to play the kids, you know, if they're playing well. And, um, but I don't know if that means he's going to scratch Brooks Orpik every night either, as like some of the fan base <laughs> would maybe like to convince themselves. And I don't know if he should. Um, so I don't think it's going to be all that different. I think it'll be a fairly smooth transition on the ice. The only major difference I think we'll see is just a much more aggressive penalty kill where if Denny Kuznetsov scores like five shorthanded goals this year or something like that. The last thing for me, is he probably something you hate to do. Give me one bold prediction you have about these Washington Capitals this season. One bold prediction. Um, mm-hmm. They come out of the gate slow. I mean, I wouldn't be, like, surprised if, like, Thanksgiving rolls around and we look at, um, like, teams that are projected to be, like, in the playoffs at Thanksgiving. That's usually, like, kind of a marker. Um, and if they're not in there, I don't. That wouldn't shock me, but I also still think they're going to, like, make the playoffs at the end of the day. Just think, like, cup winners, this is kind of a trend we've seen. Interesting. A bold prediction that kind of actually fits where Emily thinks they're going to finish. Uh, all right. Izzy, thank you so much uh, for your time. Where can people find all your work and your genius? Uh, WashingtonPost.com uh, slash sports. It's on there, yes. along with a lot of other people's genius. Yes. A lot, a lot of people 
who didn't make the leap this summer, if you know what I'm saying, Izzy. They didn't make the leap. <laughs> you know they stayed saying. They stayed right where they are, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, Izzy, thank you so much. All right, thanks, guys. Our thanks to Isabel Kashudian for joining us from the Post. Many tales of the Capitals, a Capitals team that Emily feels will finish third and I feel will finish second. But neither of us think that they'll win the Cup. Again. But that's fine. They won one. They're good. Uh, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, our segment each week when we look at the hockey media and the various foibles and fumbles of our peers in this great industry. This week, Emily, on Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, hey... Start the games already. Time for real hockey. The preseason's so long. These were the complaints by many, many hockey writers in the last few weeks. And while it's true that the NHL preseason does lag on, and while it's true that maybe playing games in June wouldn't happen if you started the preseason much earlier, these are the same people that tweet shot by shot, play by play. <laughs> during preseason games. Don't go telling me that the preseason is too long and superfluous and clog up my Twitter feed with, oh, gets left, shoots wide, rebound comes to Gibson. Don't do that. You know, I really felt like I connected to Ryan Johansson on a spiritual level this year. Johansson, I just made him sound super Swedish. Uh, when he scores the overtime winner and literally just walked off the ice, it was beautiful. <laughs> was if you haven't seen the video, see it now. That's um, yeah, I agree. I actually don't really understand NHL preseason at all. I think it's very odd that players report and then like two days later have to play in a game. I don't no, know a, if owners look, are, are they making or breaking their revenue by these home preseason games? I hope not. Let me ask you this. You, you covered the NFL for a long time. Uh, how does NFL preseason compare with NHL preseason as far as its validity? Uh, well, I think there's a legitimate training camp um, where guys are actually practicing and, and they're working on things uh, before they actually get into a game. And the main thing with NH- NFL preseason games is it's a chance for these bubble guys to um, make a chance to get the roster. And I just don't think there's that much uh, fluidity of, of who makes the roster and who doesn't in the NHL. So it's just not as exciting. Uh, in right. the NFL preseason game, like a guy can make the team off of one good game. Uh, in the NHL, it's not so much. We, you know, take into account so many more different factors. All right. Good points. Now it's time for puck headlines. Dateline, Washington. Tom Wilson got a match penalty and an in-person hearing for a headshot on Oscar Sundquist of the Blues. The hearing uh, is or was on Wednesday, depending on when you hear this. What's your take on how many games Tom Wilson might get for this match penalty and a yet another suspension? Three big suspensions in like the last 54 days for Tom Wilson. It's minimum six games for me. Um, once he gets that, when he's offered that in-person hearing, that means that's what the Department of Player Safety is considering. Uh, look, I understand the arguments that Sunquist should not have been just, you know, lurking at a center ice without his head up. That's not a safe way to play. At the same time, what are you doing, Tom Wilson, hitting anybody in the last preseason game? Uh, with someone of your history, they're going to take into account prior history. He's a repeat offender, obviously with three incidents alone last year, including two involving the Blues, kind of odd. Uh, two, they're going to take into account uh, the impact and the injury of the other player. Sunquist was lying on the ice motionless uh, mm-hmm. for a couple moments, had to be helped off. You saw photos of him uh, attending that charity event the next day. It looked awful. I mean, his face was just totally brutal. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm thinking minimum six. Uh, I think he goes double digits. 
I think it gets 10. I think this is a situation where the league, because of the frequency of, of, of hit, of, of this, of Tom Wilson getting in trouble, uh, not only with suspensions, but also warnings and also talking to's and that kind of thing, that this is the timeout. This is the one where they, they say, all right, you, you gotta stop doing this. He's one of the few players in the league that has this reputation as a headhunter. Um, and I feel like the, the, the way he delivered that hit, it was reminiscent of the kinds of hits that they try to get out of the game through Rule 48 and it, the kinds of hits that were resulting in guys ending up on stretchers. So I think that they go hard on Tom Wilson, especially since it's early in the season. Um, and if they don't, I think there's going to be palpable outrage from people who think that they should throw the book at a guy. I, again, I, I will defend the virtues of Tom Wilson as a player. I think he can play. And I think that intimidation is a tactic and a weapon. And it certainly did help the Capitals in the postseason last year against the Penguins. That's for sure. But delivering a hit like that in a preseason game is just garbage. It's just flat out a garbage barge to deliver that hit in a preseason game. Um, Dateline, Seattle. The ownership group and mayor of Seattle met with the NHL Executive Committee on Tuesday morning. Things seem to go pretty well. Seems like Seattle wants to play beginning in the 2020-2021 season. But this is all perfunctory, right, Emily? Like, they're they're getting a team. They are getting a team. They put up this lovely video, apparently. That's the reports I saw. It helps when Jerry Bruckheimer is one of your owners in the ownership group. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, look, they've got all the things in place. I just look at that 2020 date, and I'm rolling my eyes because everyone knew that was going to be a rush to begin with. That is a potential lockout year. Everybody knows it. They just don't want to say it. And Bill Daly told me in September, we're looking more at the season after that, 2021, 2022. So, uh, yes, they're getting a team. I just don't think it's as soon as everybody hopes because Vegas showed us when you do it right, you do it right. Why would you want to get a team there when not all the pieces are in place? You, you got to make a statement. Right. And then there's also other considerations. Cough lockout. Um, <laughs> date line NHL rookies. Among the surprising cuts at training camp for the NHL were Philip Zadina of the Red Wings, Eli Tolvanian, uh, or Tolvanian of the Nashville Predators, Henrik Borgstrom of the Florida Panthers, and Elias Anderson of the New York Rangers. Who was your biggest surprise as far as high-profile young players not making the cut for their teams? Eli Tolvanen, definitely yeah. with Nashville, especially because he has that clause in his contract about the amount of games he can play in the AHL. I believe it's 10, and then he gets to decide where he goes, and that could be in Europe. Uh, this is such a dynamic talent. He got his feet wet a little bit in the playoffs, but you can't just like go throw a skill kid like that in the playoffs and like, what? You didn't produce for us, huh? Like, you, you gotta let him play. So, uh, I was surprised he didn't make the team out of camp, but I would hope we see him sometime early this fall. I would have said Borgstrom just because I was counting him amongst the offensive weapons for the Florida Panthers and most of our preview stuff, but, I mean, at the end of the day, they said that he, physically he wasn't ready yet, and they and they had some veteran guys they could turn over the the you know the, his bottom six spot to. I'll go with Anderson of the Rangers just because I, I thought the Rangers were going to just go super young, and he was one of the building blocks of the future, and and a, and a kid that Rangers fans were cognizant of and could be a marketable commodity. So uh, I was a little bit I was I was really surprised that he that he got, he dropped down uh, to the AHL uh, at the start of the season. I'm sure he'll be back though. Uh, finally, uh, D- uh, Dateline. Manscaping. Jumbo Joe Thornton has his beard shaved by teammate Brent Burns. The big, gray, blonde, messy, whatever the hell it was on his chin has now been trimmed back into something a bit more sustainable. 
your thoughts on Jumbo Joe losing the flow? It's a sad day for hockey. <laughs> it's a sad day for mankind. It's a sad day for facial hair. But I have no doubt in my mind that by the end of the season, something bushy will grow from his chin and we'll all forget this moment and laugh. Maybe. Or he's just going to keep it tight because he's all business this year. You know, what about that? He's now, you know, it's like when your stoner friend goes get a job at the bank. Got to shave that beard off. Take it all seriously. No, because that's always been the shark stick. Shtick. Well, no. The shark stick. Now, now, now Eric Carlson's there. Now it's all business. Now he's all got business. a little soul patch. All right. Finally, Dateline ESPN navel gazing. <laughs> we wanted to make sure that you knew that ESPN Plus, our streaming service, has NHL hockey. Now, this is for all you people that always hit up me and Emily on Twitter that are like, ESPN doesn't cover hockey. Yeah, we do. And we have games for you every single night now, for the most part, on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Capitals, Penguins kicking it off on October 4th. Sharks, Kings, October 5th. On and on and on, there's going to be games streaming every night. And they're good much. games. Like, and they're good games. Oilers, yeah, we were talking- Penguins, biggest game of that night in October, whenever Connor McDavid plays Sidney Crosby. You watch yeah, that on I, ESPN+. Plus. And, I, and I think that the Islanders-Tavares uh, uh, game is going to be on the docket, too, when, it, when that happens later in the season. So... I can't tell you how many games we're going to have on, on for hockey, but there's a lot. And more to the point, though, is that uh, in the crease, our ESPN hockey show is back full season. Uh, Linda Cohn hosting it out in La La Land in California, bringing you all the hockey news and highlights. Myself and Emily will be on the show in some way, shape, or form during the season. That's also on ESPN+. Plus. So hockey on your TV or streaming mobile devices is a very cool thing. Uh, that is happening here at ESPN, and, and Emily and I are happy to be a part of it in some small way. Or some big way, who knows? Who's or to medium say? way. Who's, who's to say that you and I won't be doing commentary on one of these games? Who is to say? <laughs> All right. ESPN on Ice, who is to say? That's ESPN on Ice for this week. Our thanks to Rod Brindamore for stopping by to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes, and our thanks to Isabel Shudian from The Post to talk about the Washington Capitals. And we will join you next week. Good to be back with this uh, silly podcast that we do. And we thank you for all your support. If you dig it, tell a friend. If you like it, put a review on iTunes. Everything that you say or do to promote the show certainly does help. And uh, one other thing is that we should mention that our bosses really like the show and have made some noise about us doing a live show at some point. So we'll keep you informed of that. (laughs) On that note. Very excited about that. (laughs) Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.